Gil Alexander, your betting dork, pregame.com, and it is the Thursday before Triple Crown race, and this has sort of become his spot. Not just a horse racing guy, but for our purposes today, all about the Preakness, the great Marco D'Angelo. What's happening, Marco? Hey, Gil, how are you doing? I'm doing very well. How's the married life, first of all? Ah, good. Just uh, got back from the uh, honeymoon uh, on Monday, and, uh, you know, all was well. Uh, you know, honeymoon was great. Had a great week off, and uh, uh, was still handicapped, uh, you know, every day. Uh, being on the East Coast, that was good. I, I was able to get up early and uh, do my handicapping uh, while the missus was, uh, you know, still sleeping. So, you know, it all worked out well. <laughs> Capping during the honeymoon. I love that. <laughs> You know, it's it, you know that's the game. You know, I, when you when you gamble uh, for a living, you bet. You know, I don't like to say gamble. When you invest for a living and it's on a daily basis, you know, you, you work every day. You know, because there's you know there, there's areas where you find that spot and you want to take advantage of it. So you know, money never sleeps. And how and how long have you been married now? Two weeks, is it? Uh, a little over two weeks. It'll be three weeks on uh, tomorrow, and actually. Margo, and they said it wouldn't last. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> You're on your way, my friend. All right, so be- before we move forward and look at the Preakness, let's take a look back a couple weeks ago uh, at the Derby, the first leg of the Triple Crown, and you did quite well, sir, did you not? Well, you know, we did. We actually lost the Derby but made money, and... Uh, you know, we talked about on, you know, your show and my podcast, I, I gave, uh, you know, two horses that we were looking at, you know, midweek. Uh, again, I won't make my official uh, selection until Saturday morning, uh, you know, taking in all the factors with weather and everything. But there were two long shots that, you know, I gave out on the podcast. And uh, one of those two uh, long shots, Icebox, was actually the horse that I ended up zeroing in on Saturday, and he finished second, and actually, um, you know, at the wire was the the fastest moving horse in the lane, but he just ran out of real estate, uh, finished second, but as we talked about on your show, these triple crown racers, there's so much dead money and inflated money in the, the betting pools that, you know, I told my clients to bet the horse, win, place, and show, and like I said, we lost our win bet, but betting $100 win, place, and show, a $300 investment for our place and show tickets that we did cash, we netted nine, we returned $960, so a net of $660 on that $300 investment. That's nice. Awesome. And by, and, and again, Icebox's uh, close in the Derby was just exhilarating. I mean, that horse was moving at the end of that race for sure. Let me ask you about um, the horse that finished in third. Um, that icebox just, you know, flew by at the end, which was Patio Prado, ridden by Kent DeSormo. I know you had, you know, you had an interest in icebox, obviously, um, getting past Patio Prado and didn't quite get past Super Saver. But do you think all this buzz about Kent DeSormo letting up on Patio Prado at the end there was warranted? Or is that just some nonsense? You know, every time somebody gets passed, they, the, the first person you want to blame is the is the jockey. There's no question he couldn't see where um, Icebox was coming from. I mean, Icebox coming out of the last turn was still, you know, 
next to last, you know, when they went into the turn and, you know, made up a ton of ground and was coming wide and really couldn't see him. So there's a possibility that he, you know, that he might have let up a bit. And that's not the first time that, you know, Kent Pesorno's got, you know, accused of that and <laughs> it's a situ- it, it's a, it's not when i say that let me elaborate it's nothing intentional what you've got to remember in all good you know jockeys will do this is you want to get the horse the best that you can get in that race but you also want to leave something for the next race and when i talk about that you know you know i'm a horse owner um you there's different drivers at racetracks and jockeys that you know you pick and choose to put up on your horse you know it's your decision uh of who you want to name on the horse now that jockey's got to accept the you know the ride a lot of times there are, there are what they call catch drivers in my industry and again I have a harness racing background where because harness racing horses race more than thoroughbreds um harness racing uh, horses will race twenty. They can race twenty-five to thirty times in a in a year, whereas you know if you race a, a really good thoroughbred, you know more than twelve, you know thirteen, fourteen times. That's you know you're really pushing the limit. Uh, there's a lot more wear and tear on thoroughbreds than there are on harness horses. But I look for drivers that take care of the horse so that you do have something left for next week. You don't want to race them. There's a phrase, you can't race a horse on his toes um, every start. And what that saying means is full bore. Uh, It's like driving a car with your foot buried on the gas pedal the whole way. Your engine's not going to last if you, you drive your car like that. And a horse is the same way. If he thought he was clear for second, and knowing that they're going to be coming back racing in the Preakness uh, in two weeks if the horse comes out of the race good, yeah, you're going to try to save something. There's no reason to drive on a horse to finish second by four lengths instead of six lengths. You know what I'm saying? You're going to get the same money. So in that instance, that could have been what Kent DeSormo was doing. Um, Everything that he saw inside of him, he was passing, couldn't see icebox flying the way he was and it might have cost him second i'm glad it did <laughs> but uh there's no question that uh, that's a possibility well that's interesting so uh, because patio prado of course is in the preakness icebox did not have that concern because icebox is not in this race um but you raise an interesting point there about harness racing and and you know the fact that they're used to being in races a certain amount of times per year in this case we have a horse that won the Derby in Super Saver, that is not used to racing in just a two-week interval. Is that going to be in uh, something you keep in mind while capping for this one? Well, it's absolutely it, it's something that they haven't done. So uh, not only is this a problem for Super Saver, it's a problem for looking at Lucky, Patio Prado, Dublin, Jackson Bend, uh, different horses that raced in the Derby coming back. There are always going to be new shooters, uh, as we term it, come to the Preakness. And when we say a new shooter, that's a horse that, you know, skipped the Kentucky Derby and was, you know, pointing to this race. Uh, A lot of people think that that's an advantage. But if you go back and look at recent history, 
it hasn't been an advantage. The horses that have come back and raced well in the Preakness are the main characters that raced in the Derby. They've come back in, you know, it seems that the, that two weeks hasn't bothered them like they used to be in the past. Horses are bred differently now. We keep breeding more and more for speed and speed as the, the industry just keeps getting faster and faster. And, uh, it, for whatever reason, trainers are taking different approaches coming into the Triple Crown races. They're doing less prep races. Uh, you see more horses enter the Derby with, you know, two or three uh, starts under their belt, uh, you know, lifetime starts. You know, maybe only two or three is a two-year-old, and then one or two is a four-year-old, or is a three-year-old, I'm sorry, uh, whereas before, it was always an adage, if you didn't have X number of starts before the Derby, you, you couldn't win the Derby. But, you know, they've spoiled those myths in the last few years because trainers realize the Triple Crown is a grind. It takes a lot out of the horse, and there's so many big races left later in the year that you don't want to burn the horse out during the Triple Crown. So they race them less early to keep them fresher longer. And uh, I think that's why in the last few years, horses coming out of the Derby and into the Preakness are still the horses to beat. And we should point out that the uh, Pimlico uh, or the uh, Preakness fi uh, field at Pimlico this weekend on Saturday is a dozen. Um, the horse Hurricane Ike was pulled out here late, so it is just a field of a dozen, five of which had raced in the Derby. So there are seven uh, horses coming in uh, fresh that did not participate in the derby but that's interesting historically does not um make a difference there is what you're saying so that's that's right. for the layman like myself that's an interesting little tidbit so now i am told marco that uh the fact that um the, the horse and i want to want to get the name right is it looking warm there was a horse that was supposed to make this field faster but that horse is not participating and folks are anticipating a very slow pace is that correct that's correct there's no real clear-cut front runner like we had in the derby i mean the derby was set up and that's one of the reasons why i did like icebox so much was his running style um was going to set up for closers uh, or horses off the pace. In uh, this race, you're going to have what I would call either slow or honest fractions. And honest fractions are when the race is contested at a normal pace. Um, you know, you're going to have a couple horses, you know, that'll gun out to get position, but they're going to end up on the lead where they really didn't want to be. So they're going to try to slow the fractions down so that they do have more for the stretch. Now, the one thing that I'll point out about Pimlico Racetrack, uh, we're going a shorter distance, and you've got tighter turns at Pimlico. Um, horses that are caught wide, uh, you know, going into that first turn just give up so much ground. So horses like Super Saver, uh, Patio Prada, and uh, Dublin, they're going to be in trouble for finding position because if it is going to be a slower pace, and it's a shorter distance, you've got to be closer to the pace to be able to make your move. And you don't want to be caught, 
wide in the turn going into that first turn. So what that means is you're going to have to, you know, use some energy early in the race to establish that position. Even though they're going to go slower fractions, once they get to the front and, and slow the horse down, you are going to have to step on the gas out of the gate to try to get rail position or as close to the rail as you can before you hit that first turn. And a lot of times, some horses, you know, if you use one of your moves early, you don't have the stamina late to withstand, uh, you know, the late charge from another horse. You know, the, the horses are like gas tanks. You know, they, there's only so much gas in the tank, and when you make your moves and put your, you know, pedal to the metal and ask the horse for the move, they've got to be timely and uh, so that you get the distance. And I think that's going to be one of the problems that might present itself to Super Saver this week. He got an absolutely perfect trip in the Derby. Uh, Calvin Burrell, and his, his nickname is uh, Burrell instead of Burrell, because <laughs> this man has a mind-boggling uh, tenacity to find a trip at the rail every single time. I, you know, most people, when you get down on the rail, you know, you're taking a chance of getting locked in or having road problems. But this guy just finds a way to get the horse in the right position. And, you know, it, there's no, uh, you know, it's not a mystery. The shortest distance around the racetrack is at the rail, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And uh, that saves a horse and. He had no traffic problems at all and had a clean trip and ended up having an easy win in the Kentucky Derby. He did take money on Derby Day uh, with the weather conditions. A lot of people, uh, you know, did jump on Super Saver, even though trainer Todd Pletcher had been 0 for 24 heading into this year's Derby. Um, Super Saver was one of the few horses that had already raced on a sloppy track and showed that he could handle that type of surface because that was another major factor in you know in the derby and um it's going to be one of the factors that i talk about on a horse that i think you know is an intriguing long shot you know in in the preakness on saturday and that's uh the number six horse jackson bend um the horse didn't didn't race well in the derby but i'm going to take uh you know, I'm going to take out what I like to call the old magic pencil and just erase that derby line and look at the rest of his starts and say, this guy just didn't grab the racetrack. You know, he didn't like the mud. Um, he wasn't a factor because uh, this horse is trained by Nick Zito. Uh, after racing poorly in the derby, Zito still is bringing him to Pimlico rather than bringing Icebox, who finished second. And I think he, he's with Icebox, it's a case of pointing more to the Belmont with the distance. That race would suit him better than the, the Preakness. But for him to bring Jackson Bend off a poor performance tells me that he's throwing out that start as well and that the horse has been training well. And given the workout this horse had on May 10th, he went four furlongs in 46-3. and three. That's smoking. This horse is sharp and feeling good. So it definitely was not an issue that the horse had some kind of illness problem or something in the in the Preakness. I got to just attribute it to the track, and we're supposed to have a good weather conditions on Saturday. 
I like the fact that Zito's bringing this horse to Pimlico on Saturday. That's interesting that you're, in, in the case of Jackson Bend, is that you're using some of our sort of line interpretations, if you will, that we use in other sports uh, in a certain way here to sort of say, yeah, yeah, there's a reason why, you know, it's sort of like if CC Sabathia is getting a short line, hmm, I wonder why that is. And what you're sort of saying here is it tells you something that Jackson Bend has been re-entered in that race. So there's a sort of psychology that you're playing with there that's pretty interesting to the better, I think. Uh, absolutely. I mean, in horse racing, I mean, let's face it, these trainers, you know, they they make good money, um, you know, just on their training bill. But what some people may not realize in the horse racing game is they get a, a fee per day for, for training the horse. But where they really make their big money is they get a percentage of what the horse earns. Now, in thoroughbred, I don't know what the standard is. I know in my industry, in the harness racing, the driver gets 5% of whatever the horse makes in the race, and the trainer gets 5%. So these trainers are managers, and they're going to put their horses in races where they think they can make the most money. Now, granted, the owner you know, can always put his foot down and say, I want my horse to race in this race. I'm paying the money you enter him. Uh, you know, that does happen. But, you know, good owners, you know, they trust their trainers to make the right decisions and put the horse in where the horse can make the most money. So, you know, Nick Zito says this horse deserves to be in here off that start. I'm going to believe him, and, and I think Jackson Bend is a horse that has to be considered on your ticket on Saturday. Will that be my horse on Saturday? Uh, I haven't decided that yet, but that's going to be one of the two horses that, you know, well, actually one of the three main contenders that I will talk about. Uh, obviously, Super Saver being the winner in the Derby. Um, you let, know. let me ask you about Super Saver one line before you before you move on to some of your other thoughts, Marco, because it does occur to me. First of all, by the way, just for clarification's sake, the horse that I was referring to earlier that is not in this race is a little warm. That was supposed to be the horse uh, a little warm was that would make this a... Uh, a more rapid pace, but but that horse is not in. Regarding Super Saver and Calvin Burrell, uh, and this is coming from a complete layman's perspective, Marco, so let me just say in advance, if this is the dumbest question I've ever asked you, please smack me down with it. But you mentioned that, you know, Calvin Burrell has won, you know, he just won the Derby uh, with his, you know, stick close to the rail strategy. He won previous Derbies and even the previous Preakness doing just this same thing, and you have every expectation that he'll do it from the eight uh, post from the uh, number eight position uh, on Saturday. Is there, you know, other jockeys know this when they're busy trying to win any horse race, and in this case, a triple crown race. How aware are they while trying to, of course, achieve their goal of where Burrell is then on the rail? Because it seems to me, as you point out, <clears throat> excuse me, when they show the overhead of these races. He's up against the rail. He has only had to, like, go outside of one horse maximum each time, it seems like. So shouldn't other jockeys sort of position against that at some point? You would think in, you know, again, we're talking about, you know, animals and tight quarters. And, you know, some jockeys don't like being in tight quarters. I mean, it's, you know, this is a very dangerous sport, you know, uh, these drivers, they, they're literally taking, you know, their life in their own hands every time they go out there. You know, uh, you get two horses, you know, clip hills and one goes down, um, you know, it, it can be very nasty. And uh, some 
you know, jocks are just not comfortable, you know, racing in tight quarters. Some horses don't respond to being down at the rail. To be honest with you, most horses don't like, uh, you know, racing down on the rail when they have horses on the outside of them pinching them off. And you have situations where, um, you know, a perfect example is looking at Lucky. Uh, two races in a row, um, the Santa Anita Derby, he was down at the rail, got pinched off, and, the, you know, the jockey Garrett Gomez had to literally grab the horse up because he was in trouble. Uh, and it happened again in the Kentucky Derby, and two bad rides by Garrett Gomez got him fired. He's not, you know, on, you know, driving, uh, looking at Lucky on Saturday. Uh, Bafford made a switch. Um, and when you, you say, know, so just, to, just to clarify, Marco, when you say two bad drives, is that the horse actually bumping into other horses? Is that part of the problem? Yes, he got the horse in a situation where he got him in tight quarters, and the horse on the outside bore down against the rail and pinched him off. It's just the same as like somebody changing traffic lanes right in front of you with no notice. And what do you have to do? You have to slam your brakes and swerve, you know, swerve away from the car, shifting lanes. That's what happened to looking at Lucky in his last two races. Hmm. And, you know, it, it's cost him, you know, it cost him in both races. Uh, so you got to be able, most, jo- you know, jockeys like to have the horse in a clear path. When you're down at the rail, yes, it's the shorter distance, but you got to be a, a jockey that has patience and believes that the rail will open up, that you find that light of day or that crack to move. Like you said, he only had to swerve once outside to get around one horse, and then he was back at the rail again yeah. with a, a, a clear shot. That doesn't always happen. And, you know, jockeys, you know, panic that they're going to get locked in, not get back out, run into road, you know, trouble and then you know the worst thing you you, you hate to see is a, a horse full of pace coming down you know the lane and can't get out he's got a dead horse in front of him and a dead horse outside of him and you know and you're you're caught in a what they would call a blind switch so you know it takes a special kind of, of jockey to do that and kelvin burrell that's that's just his natural talent. That's what he does best. And, you know, it's amazing how he's able to work out those trips. And, you know, I'll be honest, sometimes it's cost me in the next race because I say there's no way he can have a clean trip like that again and have everything work out perfectly. And, you know, he's coming up the rail full steam. And right when he gets to the point that he needs to make a move, something opens and he doesn't have to check the horse. And we talked about checking a horse on your the last podcast and that's when you know the jockey's got to grab into the reins you know to grab hold of him a little bit because he's you know either a horse got in front of him or whatever and that you know kills the momentum he's never had to do that and but it's going to be a little bit tougher saturday at pimlico because bolting from the eight hole he's going to have to use some horse early to get position or he's going to be caught outside and not get that rail trip that super, you know, that Calvin Burrell would like. Yeah, I, I mean, I hope that wasn't too uh, ignorant of a question mark, but it seemed for the no, it was a great, it was absolutely a great question. Yeah, for for the layman like myself who just, you know, to be quite honest, I show up for the Triple Crown races for betting purposes, right, and rely on experts like yourself. To me, obviously, who shows up, you know, three times a year, it seems like Burrell does this every single time. <laughs> and I guess what I'm saying is, at some point. 
if I'm not if I'm not a, a, a schooled horse guy, I'm like, well, seriously, they gonna let him do this every single time? Because you know what? It's it's akin to Mark. You know when you go to a ball game and you watch, you know, in between innings to entertain the crowd, they have a little stupid electronic horse race or whatever race on the uh, on the big scoreboard in the stadium. And you can never tell how the three horses like juxtaposed against each other, and all of a sudden one on the rail just shoots through. I mean, that's what it's like with him. Uh, it is, and like I said, that's why his his nickname is Calvin Borel instead of Burrell. <laughs> Jeez. Wow. We'll see if he can do it, as you said, from uh, from the eighth position in the Preakness. What other horses um, are you at liberty to talk about here before? Because we know we, you don't want to give away your pick, but what else is well, on your mind? It, uh, really, I, I haven't decided what my pick is officially going to be, but I, I've looked at all of the contenders. And the top three, you know, you start with Super Saver. Uh, we already talked about Jackson Bend. I, I think this is a long shot that needs serious, you know, consideration. Uh, the other horse that you got to look at um, is looking at Lucky. And really, looking at Lucky has been anything but lucky in his last two starts, as I already mentioned. He's had two absolutely horrible trips, Santa Anita Derby and the Kentucky Derby, and yet this horse was still flying at the end. He finished uh, fourth and uh, he finished third in the Santa Anita Derby in, uh, with you a know, horrible trip and then came back and uh, finished sixth in the Kentucky Derby. Um, the horse had a, uh, you know, he was making up ground bobbing and weaving through horses down the stretch it it just seemed like once you know he got taken back and was out of the race and Garrett Gomez got him back in gear and was coming with the horse every time he he was flying he would run up against a, uh, you know another horse that was stopping in front of him and uh, Garrett Gomez was bobbing and weaving all over the place down the stretch in Churchill Downs, never able to give the horse a, a, a clean shot and give him his head. Uh, and that's a term when you say give him his head is let the let the lines loose and let the horse you know give all he's got because there was always road trouble. So uh, looking at Lucky, if he gets a clean trip, uh, I think he's going to be you know a factor on Saturday. Um, he raced much better than a sixth place finish would indicate in you know in the Derby. And the fact that you know Bob Baffert again you know coming off a sixth place finish decided to come to you know to the Preakness. Uh, he thinks this horse is better than uh, he's shown in his last two races. He's made the you know the jockey change, and that can work two ways. Uh, and that's the only question mark you know right now that you know I got to put up with looking at Lucky. Um, they weren't happy with Garrett Gomez's rides the last two starts. So they made the change. You're putting up a jockey, a, a capable jockey, but a jockey that has never ridden, um, you know, this horse. Uh, you know, Martin Garcia, you know, a, a good jock, but there is a learning process to horses. Um, you know, just like a, a race car, there's a feel to them uh, to know their, you know, their moves, you know, how the horse, you know, to rate the horse properly. You know, granted, Bafford will tell uh, Garcia everything he needs to know about this horse, but until you actually sit on the horse, you don't see everything. So sometimes that first mount, you know, can be, you 
know, he might not make push the right buttons at the right time. Uh, generally, the second start that a you know a jockey drives a horse is going to be the better one because if he did do anything wrong in that first drive he's going to make the adjustments the next time he rides the horse. So that's the, the question mark on looking at Lucky. Coming into the race, he's training well. The horse looks good. Baffert likes him. Uh, like I said, uh, should be a major contender on Saturday. But the driver change, you know, can work both ways. Could be a big step up because, you know, I don't think he can drive the horse any worse than Gomez did the last two. But... You know, what I fear is him making a move at the wrong time, not knowing, you know, the tendencies of this horse. That's the only question mark. We should say that uh, Super Saver's at 5-2. to two. Looking at Lucky, who you were just talking about, is at 3-1, to one, we should point out. That is correct. And the, the other horse, Jackson Bend, is at 12-1. to one. Um, one of the new faces or new shooters coming here that I think uh, is an interesting horse in uh, – and I'm not sure if I say the horse's name correctly. It's number nine, Cara Cortado, I believe is the way you say the horse's name. That's correct. Um, he, he is shipping in from California. He raced in the Santa Anita Derby, the same race that we talked about with looking at Lucky having uh, the interference in that race. Well, Cara uh, Cortado also was interfered with in that race in the same incident, and uh, he had all kinds of problems, and he after he got back in gear, was finishing strong and finished just behind looking at Lucky. And the fact that they skipped Derby um, to prep for this race, um, i got to think that the horse is going to be you know, a factor on Saturday. He's worked out very well, uh, a good long-shot contender. Uh, I think it's a horse that you would you know, not necessarily win this race, but if you're playing the exactas and trifectas, and again, uh, for our layman listeners, uh, an exacta is picking the first two horses, uh, trifecta is picking the first three horses in the race, that I would include him on some of the underneath uh, wagers that, you know, this is a horse that's a long shot, that's an unknown factor, that ra- that is a better horse than his fourth-place finish showed in the Santa Anita Derby. And if you like looking at Lucky, you know, based on the third-place finish in the Santa Anita Derby, this horse had just as many problems as looking at Lucky and finished right behind him. Now, by the way, you brought up Gomez, who uh, is, is not on uh, looking at Lucky any, anymore. Am I correct, though, that Gomez is now on another horse, Dublin, for this race? That is correct, Uh Dwayne look Dwayne Lucas uh, pick, picked him up, put him on. I mean, Garrett Gomez, uh, you know, I bashed his last two rides on looking at Lucky. Um, he really is a good, you know a good jockey. Uh, he just had the misfortune of being in the wrong place at the wrong time in two races. And you know, when you're going for big money, and uh, you know, let's face it, in the horse racing industry, I mean. The triple crown races and these, you know, major grade one stake races like the Santa Anita Derby, this is what defines a horse. The money you make in the stake races that you win is what determines life after racing. Uh, Horses that then go to the breeding shed. And I've always joked that, uh, you know, if we can come back reincarnated, uh, if I get to come back as an animal, I I, want to be a stallion. 
Uh, <laughs> I want to. I want to have the good life. Uh, you know, get fed my three meals a day, be out in the pasture, and then uh, every spring, uh, you know, get to service a uh, hundred mares and uh, get paid well for it. That so would be they awesome. Get a, they get a good gig, but that's where the money's at in in horse racing. Is you know the syndication of of, of a horse after the racing career. So let's face it, um, these horses, uh, you know, these three year olds, many of them will be retired after you know this year and go to the sh- you know the breeding shed. And I know that sounds ridiculous; they're only three, but there's mo- there's so much money to be made, uh, you know, breeding wise for the top horses. And your price that you command in your stud fee is dictated by the stakes wins and earnings and when a driver makes you know two critical errors and you know the owner and the trainer both felt that their horse should have raced better you know they got to blame somebody and the jockey is the guy that's the fall guy for that and uh gomez is the guy that you know got fired uh you know basically there's no other way to put it he was set down and uh he picked up another you know another mount and you got to figure that He's going to be driving with a chip on his shoulder for sure, because um, jockeys are small in statue, but they are big on egos. Let me tell you, um, really? I know that firsthand from uh, my experiences. As I said, with naming drivers, and as I said, you name a driver, but that doesn't necessarily mean that he's going to drive your horse, because you know the top drivers and jockeys get named sometimes on two or three horses in the same race because everybody wants the best jockey. And then the jockey will pick the horse that he thinks has the best shot of winning um, because, again, that's how they make their money, you know, picking up that percentage of what the horse earns. So, you know, when a jockey bypasses you, you're supposed to, it's supposed to be that's part of business. But whenever you bypass a jockey, they take it personal. Wait, let's get back to that jockey having huge egos thing, though, just for a second before you move on. That that's interesting to me. Like I, you know, I figure NBA players walk around; they have colossal egos, right? And 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 most of these athletes that we're aware of on a daily basis. But what, what you're telling me is these jockeys go around like they own the joint. Every is that right? Well, you know, on the racing, you know, end of it, you know, they do. And uh, you know, I mean, let's face it: most of these jockeys, whenever you see the winner's circle photos, uh, you know, the shots there with. The, you got the little jockey, and they always, most of them have, you know, a real tall, you know, hot blonde, uh, you know, wife. So, wow. they, you, know, you know, they live big, let me tell you. That's interesting. <laughs> uh, but uh, I think that, um, you know, Dublin was a horse that, you know, comes out of the derby, so you gotta you got to respect him. And, you know, Garrett Gomez, you've got to consider as a step up driver-wise, uh, you know, for Dublin in, uh, you know, Dwayne Lucas is, you know, he's been in this game a long time. He's got a lot of triple crown wins, so it's a horse that you can't rule out. And uh, you know, Garrett Gomez, if uh, you know he's got a shot, uh, you know, to redeem himself and win on Dublin, uh, that would be you know poetic justice. I don't think he's got enough horse to do it, but I think he definitely will improve Dublin. But I don't think it'll be enough for Dublin to pull an upset. Okay. Wow, I think that that may just cover it, huh? Are you having? I mean, that that could do it, huh, Marco? That's um, I'm looking. That's down. it. Like I said, the only other horse you mentioned early, the the Patio Prada. Uh, you know, again, uh, you know, strong finish in the Derby, and you know, might have got caught sleeping a hair there uh, by Icebox for second. You know, 
coming out of the Derby, you know, the the factor of those horses, you know, coming back and racing good in the in the Preakness would be another horse that you probably would consider on your underneath tickets. Okay, and you're also doing a video podcast again this week about the Preakness as well. Yes, we will. That'll be up later tonight, and uh, we're taping uh, all of the podcasts today. So. By the time we get done taping and editing and uploading, uh, you know, look for them tonight. And then we're talking Thursday here, so if you're listening to this uh, after Thursday, it should be up already. It's the uh, 135th Preakness Stakes uh, in Baltimore at uh, Pimlico Raceway. Have you ever been to the Preakness, by the way, Marco? I have not. In uh, They say that it's an absolute party in the infield. Uh, uh, both the Kentucky Derby and uh, the Preakness are just wild uh, parties in the the infield and uh it's uh you know with the weather uh being nice on saturday it should uh, should be a, quite a scene there in pimlico uh that's on my uh, bucket list of things to do uh, there's certain tracks that i have not gone to yet and events that i haven't gone to yet and the triple crown are definitely ones that i want to i want to do and uh one of the other ones i want to do is uh you know, now that I'm living in Vegas, a lot closer to pull that one off is uh, I haven't been to Del Mar yet, one of the most uh, beautiful tracks in the country. Uh, the you know, the turf, the, the surf by the turf by the surf or whatever they call it out there. But uh, I'd like to go to Del Mar and uh, you know see the meet out there sometime. So that's uh, that's on the wish list. Maybe I'll get that crossed off this summer. Well, it's on my bucket list as well. So if you go. Bring me, Marco, is all I'm saying. All, all right. I'll let you know, Gil. The reason I brought up uh, Pimlico is because I, I did grow up in the D.C. area, so I'm familiar with a lot of people who go every year to the infield uh, at the Preakness. And it is a it is a drunken fest, Marco, to the degree that I am shocked that no one has spilled over onto the track during the actual race at this point. I really it, – it's it's ridiculous what, these, it, what goes on in there. So – if you ever do go, try to sit in the stands is what I'm telling you. Yeah, Mark is not, uh, you know, I'm not one for the mosh pit. <laughs> yeah, nor am I. <laughs> well, A little too old for those days. Yeah, well, I was even when I was young, I think I was too old for, for that particular scene at the Preakness. I mean, that is something something unbelievable. The purse for the uh, the winner of the Preakness is uh, $600,000 over the, um, and, and for the entire race, it's a million, but $600,000 goes to the winner. I should ask, because we are in the midst of the Triple Crown race, and this is sort of a, a bigger picture thing, Marco, before I let you go, obviously we want to know, I mean, it hasn't happened since Affirmed did it in 1978 when Affirmed clipped Aladar in all three Triple Crown races. Is Super Saver a horse that you think has a shot at the Triple Crown? At this point in time, I'm I'm not a believer that he can pull off all three races. Um, Saturday will go a long way in, in in determining my true thoughts on Super Saver, uh, and that's again because he had the absolute perfect trip. He had everything go right. He was a horse that uh, was one of the only horses in the Derby that had experience on the mud, had the perfect trip had the fractions that he needed up front. We had that early speed duel, as we talked about, that we would have in the front end, came back to the closers uh, in that race. So everything set up perfectly. Um, what happens on Saturday will tell me if this horse is for real or not. Um, and, and again, just look at what the prices were in the Derby. The, 
the favorite in the Derby went off at like six to one. That was like the long, that was the highest priced favorite in the Derby in, in like forever. So that was all because uh, of the slop, though, right? That, yeah, because there's no, there's no horse that, you know, stands out over this, you know, three year old crop right now mm-hmm. because some of the best three year olds are on the sidelines right now. But when I say the slop, I meant because the weather was so bad that it was just a muddy track and it sort of even uh, further evened it all out. Absolutely. You know, it, it, it leveled the playing field for sure, and it gave Super Saver an advantage that some of the other horses just hadn't had yet. You never know how they're going to react to mud until they do it. Right. Although, as I told you last time on the podcast, I love when uh, horse experts come on and go, this horse loves the mud. You know, <laughs> I love I Yeah, love they, they had an exclusive interview with That's them. right. <laughs> they interviewed like they're Mr. Ed. This horse is a confident horse. Um by the way, uh, your uh, your boy hammering Hank Goldberg, uh, not to bring him up, but I, I did hear him already make a pick for the Belmont. He's more sure about the Belmont than he is about the Preakness. He said, <laughs> he said, fly down is the is the pick in the Belmont already. So I don't know if you even capped it at all, but but that was his sort of shot across the bow already. You you gotta love Hammer and Hank, and uh, Hammer and Hank, I think, got hammered pretty good. <laughs> On uh, Derby Day, I, I think did, he did. I didn't see too many winning tickets on uh, his card. Uh, but they keep rolling him out race after race. I love it. That's uh, that's the beauty of it. Say, <laughs> you know, when you have you know success uh, way back in the day, they just keep you know willing you out there. You know, he, he's living on his laurels from the past. That's for sure. He actually claims, by the way, Marco, that uh, the odds for Caracortado are lower because of him in this. He, he claims that he, uh, Frank Carulli, the uh, lines maker at Pimlico, actually asked him before announcing the lines, yeah, what are you looking at, uh, Hank? And Hank actually brought up Caracortado, and then Carulli comes out and puts uh, Caracortado at 10 to 1, so Hank thinks that he, lo- he lowered the value <laughs> he lowered the value on it, single-handedly. Uh, you love it, talking about egos. <laughs> I, I guess announcers have them, too. <laughs> That's so funny. Marco, always a pleasure. Again, I know this is a uh, it's a double header day for you, and you actually it's a triple header day for you because you got two podcasts and a video podcast. You are the hardest working man at pregame today, that is for sure. So I really appreciate you coming on the show. No problem. It's always a pleasure, Gil. And we will leave this up up until the Preakness, and even through the race, if you want to listen to it afterwards. Marco D'Angelo, thank you. Gil Alexander, your betting dork at pregame.com. Thanks so much for listening.